Good morning. How's everybody today? Isn't that gorgeous outside? Going to be almost 70 degrees today. What is profitable and what is good? Well, what we just did is pretty profitable, don't you think? The worship. Well, I want to continue that with a little 45-second video I put together. This is a picture of the supermoon a couple, three years ago, four years ago, whatever it was. This is the beginning of the eclipse. Right in the middle, taken through my glasses. Vela Veil Nebula taken by the Hubble Space Telescope. Isn't it beautiful? It's an outburst from an infant star. It's having a temper tantrum. So the star is the little bright spot and the little thing shooting out is the outburst. Isn't that incredible? I encourage you. You know, we've been studying in, in a youth group uh, identity and, and who we really are in Christ. And we've watched some stuff on how we're made physically, and we've looked at some space stuff. And, and NASA's website, you need to go to Hubble Telescope, NASA's web, website, and just look at all of the pictures that are on there. It is incredible. You see a lot more than just those two videos that we showed and the other three pictures I took. But uh, just incredible, and, and we've, we've talked about how we're created. Uh, three billion characters make up your DNA, and if you were to stretch it out, it would be six feet long, and it would take you 97 years to read those characters one second for each character. 97 years to read your DNA. How often do we stop and look at our own body when it comes to worship? You know, that's just a few of God's glories of creation. Uh, as we come into our passage today, worshiping God, the good God, worshiping God is profitable and good. And we wrap up Titus today with a message from God. And Titus 2.7 says this, In everything set them an example by doing what is good. And I couldn't help as I was preparing over the last couple weeks uh, going back through and reading through Titus again and, and just touching base and, and, and God just really grabbed my heart with at least once in each chapter, he has said, be an example or devote yourselves to doing what is good. I think that's the message that God has for us as we wrap up Titus and we recap where we've been. Uh, chapter 1-8 the elder is to love what is good. So the leaders of our church, Pastor David, myself, Pastor Michael, the, the elders that, that lead and guide us spiritually and, and physically are to love what is good. We read chapter 2, 7, verse A. Uh, Paul uses the same language three times in chapter 3, once in verse 1, once in verse 8, and then again in verse 14. You get the picture? We need to be devoted to doing good. It's not just for the leadership. It's everybody in the church body. Now, I know that's a whole lot easier said than done, right? Uh, by far. But in this old world, it seems so difficult. 
In fact, it doesn't seem like there is much good, does it? However, I know, and you know from reading Scripture, that God is good. And aside from God being in this world, it is not good. It is very sinful and messed up and screwed up. So, then that begs the question. So if we are to devote ourselves to doing good, then isn't there bad we must stop doing? Well, there is, unfortunately. So I want to take you to Matthew chapter 15 this morning. Uh, as, and you don't have to turn there. We'll have some verses up on the screen. Uh, because we are going to come back to Titus, so stay in Titus. But Matthew chapter 15, the, the, the Pharisees and teachers of the law are coming up to Jesus, and his disciples had just eaten some grain, but they hadn't washed their hands. And so they're kind of having an issue with Jesus' disciples and Jesus' teaching because, well, they just violated one of the Pharisees' laws. Now, mind you, this is a Pharisaical law, a law, tradition of the elders, they call it. It's not a law of God that they wash their hands. And Jesus says this to them, quoting from Isaiah. He says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. This is Matthew 15, 7 through 9. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are mere human rules. You know, it was true then, and I think it's true for us today, Oftentimes we honor God with our lips on a Sunday morning, but when we leave the walls of this church, we go out and forget that we are the church. And that every action and everything we do should be about worshiping God. Jesus said in, in verses 10 and 11, he called the crowd to him and he said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And then later in verses 18 through 20, he continues and says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. I think it's so easy for us to get caught up on the here and now, that we forget that God has a future plan for us. That he wants us to look deeper out into space, if you will, and see that there is much better for us. And I guess these, these scriptures come to my mind because we too are just like the Pharisees and teachers. We get caught up in our own rules and our own way of thinking, and we forget that God has a different way of thinking than we do. We sit here on a Sunday morning and sing and listen to the Bible being preached, and like I said, we go away, we dishonor God with our speech and our actions. Just like in the intro video, it says our actions and our words don't line up. We claim to be a Christian, but we don't honor that with our actions. So let's talk about conversations that are unprofitable and useless. I think that's a good place to start. That's where Paul comes back to as he is reminding Titus. I keep wanting to say Timothy as I was typing this out. I kept wanting to type in Timothy. You know, Titus is a young pastor just like Timothy, and Paul was, no, was very much a mentor to both of them. 
But let's talk about these conversations that are unprofitable and useless. And let's go to, to first ten, or Titus 3. Say, I almost said it there. Let's go to Titus 3, uh, verses 9 through 15. Let's read them together. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me in Nicopolis, because I have decided to enter there. Do everything that you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Greet every, everyone with me send you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Paul has just finished reminding Titus in chapter 3 how we were saved. David talked about this last week and, and what we were saved from. He reminds Titus in verse 8 that these are all trustworthy sayings because this is the doctrine in which our church is founded upon, the church of Jesus Christ. Not just this church, but the church. The global church is founded upon these principles that Paul talks about in the first eight verses of chapter 3. And then he gets to, to verse 8, he says, these are trustworthy statements that, that should be stressed or, or, or insisted or on with assurance. Why? Why is he so concerned that these are stressed? He says in verse 8, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. So there it is. Teach these things, do these things, remain strong in these things because those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. But then Paul tells Titus, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Now, you might be thinking, well, we don't have any of those here. Or maybe you're thinking, well, what are foolish controversies and, and, and what are these genealogies and conflicts and quarrels? What exactly are they even fighting over? And do we still have a problem with this today? Well, I'm going to go, I'm just going to say in this church, no, we don't have a problem with this in our church. Our elder board and the pastors have done a phenomenal job to make sure we do not have disputes about doctrine. They have set a clear path from the Bible that means there can be no dispute because it is biblical. But in this world, yes, there are troubles in churches. They cause church splits because they fight over theological conversations and they have debates that really do not lead to the gospel. That's what these conversations are about, these foolish controversies. Now, mind you, we do have some talk that doesn't necessarily lend to the gospel, but we think it's a good thing because it's biblical. 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 16, uh, as Paul was dealing with Timothy and kind of the same stuff, he says, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. If it is of no value and only ruins those who listen, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved 
a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. See, these conversations, these foolish controversies, they are fruitless and pointless. That's what it means, these foolish controversies. It means that they are pointless, they are fruitless. They're not helping us. They're not being productive in our lives. Now, within the church, these were heavy doctrinal issues. There were some Jews, Bible-believing or not, that were coming and teaching heretical doctrine. And so Paul is reminding Titus and Timothy both, you need to be strong on the doctrine that you know in the first eight verses of Titus. And he says, make sure you don't get caught up in these doctrinal discussions that they are. Now, some doctrinal discussions are good, correct? We just got done here at at North Hills with a great doctrinal discussion about human sexuality, biological sexuality, and what that looks like according to Scripture. And signing off as a church saying, yes, this is what we believe, what the Bible says is true about human sexuality, that God created them male and female. That's a good and productive for our church to have that discussion. That's not the kind of discussion they're having. They're having discussion of whether they should work for salvation or not. And granted, at some point you have to step in and nip that in the bud, and it was even deeper than that. I don't know exactly what all they were going through, but these are the kind of things that were being strummed up. You know, I think about the genealogy part of this, and, and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 came to mind. Uh, Paul was writing his letter to the Corinthian church, and, and in, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, I'm going to start in verse 3, he says this, You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, for you are not you are, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you, can, who you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I don't know if this is the genealogical type of stuff they were talking about. Probably not. But this is the kind of stuff that they faced. Well, I was saved through David's ministry. Well, I was saved through Brad's ministry. I was saved through Pastor Dick's ministry. No, you were saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. They were just the one that was here planting the seed. The genealogies could have gone clear back to Jewish genealogy. Well, I was in David's line. Well, I was in Moses' line. Well, I was in... You see the kind of things they were squabbling and fighting over? For us today, well, I'm this denomination. Or I'm that denomination. Kind of a pointless talk, isn't it? What we should be focusing on is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Paul wants Titus to focus on. He wants us to focus on who God is, not 
who did what or where we go to church or what body of believers we belong to. We all belong to the body of Jesus Christ if we have Jesus Christ living inside of us. So we also see that Jewish teachers were coming and teaching according to the law rather than Christ crucified in his resurrection. They would have been spewing the old law and being of Abraham or, or, or living out the Ten Commandments in your life rather than trusting Jesus as your Savior, uh, a way of works as salvation. Uh, Paul said it in 3, 1 through 8, that God is our Savior and he poured out his Spirit on us through Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ our Savior that we are justified by grace and now we are heirs with him. We now have hope in him for eternal life. This is speech that is profitable, that is useful and good. Paul says, avoid this other stuff because it's useless speech. Talking about denomination or even the physical numbers of a church is really kind of pointless. We can talk numbers in a church all day long, but if we're not growing, if we're not living testimonies of Jesus Christ, if we're not someone that if your app was on everybody's phone and they pushed on your, on your icon on the, on the phone and Jesus Christ doesn't come up, then we need to be rethinking our lives. Because when everybody looks at us as Christians and as believers, we ought to reflect Jesus Christ. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, that his goodness might be reflected through us. Because we inherently are not good because of the sin in our lives. See, we're no different than the Pharisees. We're no different than these teachers. Because we talk of politics as if there is no hope. We sit and, and we watch Sean Hannity and all of the other guys that talk. And we watch CNN and we're like, oh man, that we're, we're doomed as a country. But you know what? We're not doomed. This is all part of God's plan. But the problem is we have fruitless discussion even amongst our families about how this country is going down a hole in the wrong pattern and we don't even stop to pray and ask God to intervene. We just have our conversation and go about our way. You know, we talk of tribulation and rapture when in truth people are perishing around us. We argue about pre-tribulation or mid-tribulation or post-tribulation. Does it matter? Honestly, does it matter? Does it matter? There's so many theological discussions that we have that really are fruitless and pointless conversations when it comes to the souls of men, women, and children dying on this planet without the love of Jesus Christ. See, we too get sucked into useless and unproductive conversations Our conversation should be filled with the Gospels and how we can come together to go and make disciples. That's a good and profitable thing. That is a fruitful thing. It's a command of Jesus. If it's a command of Jesus, it's good. We should go and make disciples. In the words of, of my, one of my mentors, he, he, he would say, we need to go eyes, which is not a word, disciple eyes and baptize. We need to go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is profitable. That is fruitful. But you know, it goes beyond just the conversations. 
there are divisive people that are not healthy for the church. And so in verses 10 and 11, Paul addresses this. He says, you need to be careful of the heretics. The, the Greek word actually is, is, is a word that, that forms heretic, meaning one that speaks heresy, one that brings in false teaching. He may have been speaking about these ones in verse 9. Certainly there were some people that were speaking this. He, he warns Titus to shun, to actually push them out, to, to give them a couple of warnings and say, enough is enough. You are done with this church. You are no longer welcome here. We're talking about church discipline here. As I was reading some of the commentaries this week, uh, one of them said that, that, that we have done a horrible job at church discipline as a whole as a church. We have allowed the world to dictate to us because we don't want to come across as being negative or unloving, so we allow heresy to come in through the back door. I am thankful that this church has not allowed that. You know, Paul is just going back and, and reaffirming to Titus what he said in, verse, in chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. These divisive people were ruining whole households with their teaching. He said that these people claim to know God, but don't prove it with their actions. Are you one of them? Claiming to know God, but you don't prove it with your actions? That's a hard question to face with yourself. Because Paul says that they are false teachers. Now, I'm not insinuating that anybody here is a false teacher. What I am saying is we need to take a hard look at our lives. And do our actions reflect what we speak out of our mouths? Because maybe then we are really false teachers. Take a hard look at yourself. Take a hard look in the mirror. I mean, you, you step into the mirror in the morning and you fix your hair, put your makeup on, whatever you need to do to make yourself look right. You don't walk away with, with a messy setup, well, unless you're my son. <laughs> That's okay, he doesn't care. James talks about this. That's like the man that steps into the mirror and doesn't fix himself. If you know what the Bible says to do and you're not doing it, James says that's sin. These people, they're warped, they're sinful, they're self-condemned. And I don't think we're near that far, but I do think we need to stop and take a look at ourselves. These teachers have enough truth to make it appealing. They have enough truth, just like the devil had enough truth in what he told Adam and Eve to make it sound appealing, to make it sound as though what he was saying was right, and that God was withholding something from Adam and Eve, that God was withholding something from mankind. Just enough to make it believable. That's why our foundation has to be the Bible. Our foundation has to be the Word of God. So that when this teaching comes, we will know it, we will see it, we will understand it. And when these divisive, heretical people come, we will spot them like that. And we will shut them down. Like I said, I don't see this in this church I don't believe there are divisive people here. Now, there may be, but they're not acting out as divisive people, at least not that I have seen in the, the little over a year and a half we've been here. 
But we do, however, tend to be unproductive in our speech. We tend to spew things on social media. We tend to spew things in person. And they do not prove to be the godly people that we claim to be. We really are no better than the Pharisees that, that want the disciples to do exactly what they say is right, not what God says is right. Jesus wasn't concerned about them washing their hands. He was more concerned about them being fed because they were hungry. They'd been traveling. And Jesus called the Pharisees out on it. He says, you know, you guys will go and worship at the temple, but your hearts are far from me. You give me lip service, but that's it. That's where it stops. With our lips, we worship God, but the rest of the week, church is just a distant memory. It is fading in the dust that is kicked up as we leave church. The farther we get from the worship service on Sunday, the worse our thinking and our speech and our hearts turn away from God. We have become that tasteless and useless salt Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, 13. You see, because we don't stop and think about having a futuristic thinking, meaning an eternal way of thinking, people are not coming to Christ because of our witness. And that's not just in our lives, that is in the church as a whole. So how do we solve this problem? Well, point number three, we must devote ourselves to doing good, verses 12 through 15. I don't think there's any coincidence that Paul mentioned this five times in three chapters, and three of those are in the last chapter. Paul is really trying to hit this home in this book, trying to hit this home with this young pastor that we need to devote ourselves to doing good. It's a must. It's a command. In truth, the church is only as good as its leadership. Paul is careful to admonish and encourage Titus to be a strong leader and to stay close to the teaching he, he has known from the beginning. You see, this teaching that Paul was taught and taught to Titus and taught to Timothy is the teaching that he learned from early on. We, we, my, my wife and I know of a teacher who has been around since the early 2000s and has some heresy in his teaching. And we had some friends that, that, that started gearing towards that. And the statement that was made to me was, well, what we've known is changed. There's, this is new teaching that has come to light. You see, part of what the church globally has done is thrown out doctrine that has been around for hundreds, thousands of years for a new doctrine that is 10 to 15 to 20 years old, maybe even a couple hundred years old. Most of this is seven to 8,000 years old when you think about when God gave it to Moses to write or to the other Old Testament writers. There's a lot of good biblical doctrine that is at least 2,000 years old and older. Why would we change that other than to fit our own selfish needs, our own selfish wants? We must devote ourselves to doing good. Titus has been instructed not to fall into useless and unfruitful doctrinal conversation. He has said to warn those that are causing division in the church and then dispel them if they don't respond after two warnings. Paul literally tells Timothy to shun those people. Turn around, turn your back on them, and cast them out of the church. That's the language he uses. 
I pray that we would be that prudent about our lives, that we would look at our lives and we would shun the things in our lives that are unfruitful and unproductive. Now we see that Paul wants to take care of Titus. He fully intends to encourage Titus. Does anybody here know anything about Artemis by any chance? Has anybody here met Artemis? Has anybody met him in scriptures? This is the only place we see Artemis listed. I could not find anywhere else in scripture where Artemis is listed. But there are several places. Paul plans to send one of these two men, either Artemis or Tychicus, to Titus. Tychicus, we have mentioned five different times in Scripture. Four, sorry, four, five total with Titus. Uh, Acts 20, verse 4, Ephesians 6, 21, Colossians 4, 7, and 2 Timothy 4, 12. If you were to go and look at all of those, you would see that Tychicus was a man of character. He was an encourager. He was a faithful minister of the word, Paul calls him. And he was also a great friend of Paul's. And I have no doubt that if we see this about Tychicus, this was probably true of Artemis as well, or Paul wouldn't have sent him. I have no doubt that both men are fit for the job. They were meant to help encourage not only Titus, but to relieve Titus after going through a strong battle with the leaders in Crete, with the Cretan people, and dealing with the world and what the world had to offer the Cretan people. It would have been a battle. It would have been a fight. Dealing with sin in people's lives is ugly. And nobody knows that better than a pastor because we see it all. We see the good. We see the bad. We see the ugly. And it's not fun. Some days it's draining. You need to be praying for Pastor David, Pastor Michael, for myself because the spiritual battle is as real or more real in our lives than it is in anybody sitting in the pew because we, we have a double whammy because this is not just something that, that we read and do devotions from, it's our life. We've devoted our lives to sharing this, to giving this to people in a way that most people don't sitting in a pew. Not that you don't live your life in such a way that you reflect the gospel But it's not the same as, I was actually, seriously, I spent four hours yesterday afternoon. I was physically tired after putting this together because it's draining. Ministry is draining. I have no doubt that Titus needed to be relieved for a while, to go and be with his mentor. Grateful for this church and, and, and the chances they give us as pastors to get away. When Artemis and Tychicus come, Titus was supposed to go and see Paul. And then before they come, most likely uh, Apollos and, and, and Zenos were carrying this letter. Paul says, I, I want you to, to make sure that their needs are taken care of. Do it with diligence and haste. Make sure that they're taken care of when they come to you. Maybe they were just passing through to another part of Crete and they were going to be on a missionary journey. Regardless of what their reason for the journey, they were to have their monetary needs taken care of, specifically. And 
most generally their spiritual needs as well. But, but Paul tells Timothy to do with haste and with diligence, eagerly and zealously. Teach the people on the island of Crete to devote themselves to doing good, especially when it comes to Paulus and Zenos. Teach them to take care of their monetary needs. Again, I think this is another area where this church as a whole functions very well through the helping hands. But the question is, how are you doing in your own personal life? When God lays somebody on your heart to live out your productivity in giving, not just to this church, but above and beyond this church, when he puts somebody in your path to give a gas of tank to, do you do it? Regardless of whether you think you can afford it or not? Are you willing to step out on the limb and say, God, I will trust you for this 20 or 25 or this 50 bucks, whatever it costs to fill this person's tank? See, this is what it means to step out and do what is good. And doing what is good in that light is profitable. It's profitable. It builds your character and it builds your faith. It is fruitful in your life. And people will begin to see that fruit. And I venture to say that if every single one of us sitting here and listening online were to start living productive lives and have speech that is productive, that, that bears Jesus' death and resurrection as we speak, that we would have to go into a building phase and expand this church because there would not be enough room to hold everybody here. And I believe that's what God wants for this area. So what is profitable? What is good? Or maybe asked a better way, what does a productive, fruitful life look like? What does it look like to be devoted to doing good? Well, how about following Scripture, the commands that God has given us? How about Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus said to go and make disciples? That's not just a command for the pastors of the church. That's a command for every single human being that has chosen Jesus Christ, that claims to be a follower of Christ. You are to go and make disciples. Your lifestyle should be a missional lifestyle, and your mission should be to serve God wherever you are at, at whatever cost it takes, including being fired from your job. Guys, church isn't just on Sunday morning. Church is seven days of the week because you are the church. We are the church. And God has called every one of us to go and make disciples. You could turn the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. There are ten good principles to live by. Just because it's Old Testament doesn't mean we shouldn't live by it. Doesn't mean we can't look at it and say, yes, that's a good principle to live by. Fortunate for us, Jesus summed them up in two. The first five commandments he summed up in saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. And he summed up the second five saying, love your neighbor as yourself. So when we have two things we really need to remember. We need to love God with everything we've got. That means even how you run your business. Yes, you can run your business in a godly manner. I've done it, so I know you can. It's not easy. Oh, it's, it's not easy. The devil will push you on it. He will test your faith. He will test your resolve. But I can tell you, if you will resolve not to work on a Sunday to the best of your ability, God will bless you. Hands down, he will bless you. Take a day of rest. 
I mean, honestly, how many of us actually take a full day of rest? I don't care if it's Sunday, take a day of rest. Have a Sabbath for yourself. Our brains tell us it's not okay because we've got a thousand million things to do, right? Well, imagine your day off is Friday, but you're supposed to preach on Sunday. (laughs) That was a little difficult this week. But you know what? We got her done. God gave me some time off. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, worship team, you can go ahead and come up. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the memory verse today is verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's what you're created for, is to do good works. Our flesh will fight us on that, but that's what we're created for, is to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the start of loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, giving your life to him through his son Jesus Christ so that he might save you from the sin that you are indwelt in and show you how to live life in such a messed up world. Romans 10, 9, and 10 is very clear. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is who he says he is, the claims that he made in the Gospels. Claim that Jesus is God. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Agree with God that Jesus is who he says he is. Confess with your mouth that he raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. See, God wants to show you that you are made for good works. That's why Jesus came to this cross, because the law showed us how evil we are. Jesus shows us how good we can be if we'll just give in to him. Devote yourself to doing good. Go live a profitable lifestyle according to the gospel. Have profitable conversations about politics and church doctrine by all means. Have those conversations. But when you're talking with somebody in the doctor's office or the grocery store or just on the street about politics, share the gospel. Share the hope that you have even though the world seems to be crumbling around us. Because what else do we have if we don't have the hope of Jesus Christ? And above all, let's go make disciples for the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do that first. Then I will take care of your needs. You don't have to worry about the needs. I want to leave you with this, Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And I am confident of that. God is doing a work in each and every one of us, and he will complete it. The question is, is how willing are you to allow him to complete it in your life? Let's pray. Father God, thanks so much for your love for us. Thanks so much for your word. Thanks for the opportunity just to come and share what you've put on my heart to share from your word. Lord, may we go from here and just think about profitable speech mm-hmm. and speech that is good. Lord, show us those that are, that are false teachers and may we have the courage to refute them, to approach them and warn them and tell them that they're wrong. God, thanks for loving us. Thanks for today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.